Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's why the name came out, Budget Beat. Mm. Right? Because it was always me working in a budget. Yeah. Mm. And then, like, I got a kick out of it. Right, when I have only $10, buying one item versus being able to stretch that over five items, wow, you feel like, wow, I feel so satisfied, man. I made my dollar work harder. Yeah, so I think because of that background. Hello and welcome to Chill with TFC, where we look for the quirkiest and geekiest people we can find to share with you their views on money and on life. My name is Andrew, and today we have with us SG Budget Babe. Her name is Dawn, and she's the first female financial influencer in Singapore before influencer was even a thing. In this two-part series, we'll be chatting with her about her financial journey, from how she navigates her investments, to how she manages her family's finances, and teach her two young kids about money. Let's get into it. Okay, let's go. Let's go. We've got SG budget, babe. Let, let me serve you tea first. Senpai, <laughs> senpai. <laughs> Jing cha to the, you know, senior. <laughs> OG. Maybe you're lao. Yeah, yeah, I'm older than you. <laughs> I'm older than you. But hey, this in the local financial content space. Hey, come have your tea. Okay. <laughs> in the local financial content space, right? I mean, this this is the OG, SG budget, babe. If if the local finance content, you know, if we are the Avengers, yeah, like Black Widow or something. <laughs> so a few more tea. Yeah, she also so. happens to be the only female. <laughs> only yeah, right, exactly, right, exactly, exactly. exactly. That's why like founding member only female. Are you still the only so-called you know only female influencer? I don't know. Am I? Or are you like no competition? <laughs> no, I feel like there's been a lot of new ones. Yeah. But I I feel like everyone has a different niche. Mm. Yeah. Like there's this YouTuber I, I recently came to hear of. She's called Lisa Learns Adulting or something like yes, that. Yes, yes. We've had a lot of videos are viral, man. And I look at the length, 50 minutes, mm. and number of views, I'm like, wow, for yeah. a 50 minute video is very, very in unheard depth. of. Yeah. In depth. Yeah. So everyone, I think, occupies their own niche. Even mm. with Kelvin Learns Investing, it's very, it's a certain flair and flavor. Yeah. But I think in terms of females, there's still very few. I see more of like lifestyle people coming into finance than mm. a straight away, straight up finance person. And some of it is because of sponsored posts, right? Yeah. That they have to move into the finance phase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you were an influencer before the word influencer was even a thing. Back I was then. a writer. La. <laughs> was a, write- a blogger, writer. A, a writer with a lot of people who like my writings. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I, I told you when you first started a blog, I, I started reading it, right? And, and it's like, back then it was still, what, Blogspot? Yeah, it's Blogspot. Was that WordPress? No. There was WordPress, but I didn't use WordPress yeah, you, back then. You started with Blogspot, right? Yeah. And then, and then you were, okay, when was that? How many years ago? December 2014. Ah, okay, okay. 2014? Mm-hmm. 2014. That means yes. it's been seven, eight years? Uh, in your blogging eight career? Years, yeah. Wow, okay, okay. And, and so, like, you're looking at all this, you know, new YouTube, um, TikTok, what have you, right? Like, how has the local finance content space changed? 
I feel like people are more open to talk about finance now. Mm. Um, they're no longer as you know. Back in my days, right? <laughs> back in my days, <laughs> it, finance felt Spoken very like a true OG. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it felt very taboo. Yeah, Jiang Tang Nian, it felt very taboo to talk about finance. People are very secretive. They wouldn't tell you about salaries and how much they earn, how much mm. they spend, how much they save. So when I started talking about them, it was really like, huh? You know, mm. it was a shock. But nowadays, I feel everyone's just so open. It's like, yeah, I hit 100k by 30 go. I'm at this amount. And everyone's just openly sharing. Mm. I think that's the biggest change I've seen in this scene. Do you also think it's not cool, not as cool back then to talk about money? For sure. Yeah. I mean, back then also, maybe also because I'm female. Mm. Um, When you're in your 20s and you're female, right? It's a lot of wanting to impress. So it's all about like going to cafes, taking pretty photos, you it know, is, being Nowadays, still like that. <laughs> <laughs> nowadays, it's all like Maybe that. Maybe I just grown out of that phase. Mm, uh-huh. Yeah, mm. but it was a lot about that and like wearing brands and all. So to have someone who was coming out and saying, uh, I buy stuff on carousel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't go for brands. I don't like branded bags. I never thought the point of spending on them. I save a lot of my income. I don't eat out at cafes very often. Oh. Yeah, so it was very against the norm. Yeah, and I did get a lot of hate for it. Mm, but oh, why? I think like, I mean, it was just, whenever you go up against the norm, I guess people just hate on you. I was getting hate from both sides as well. Like, the guys would be like, oh, she must be living off her boyfriend. Oh, you know? okay, okay. And then, or like, oh, she must not be giving her parents money. That's why she can save. Uh, Whereas the girls would be like, hi, yeah, she's just, you know, like, uh, not, not like us. So I was getting like a lot of negativity from both sides. But I also had a lot of like silent supporters and they were mm. like, thanks for coming out to speak on this. Uh, you really say what I always felt or I like, was always asking or wondering about. So I tried to focus more on that. I think today, if you look at the scene, there'll be less negativity mm. because people are kind of past that stage already. Yeah, but there is still, you still have to deal with both ends. La. So people are more open. You have to deal with both positive and negative. But overall, the scene has become more welcoming, more embracing. Mm, that, that's mm. the thing about putting yourself out there. Right? You're going to get all sorts of weird comments. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's still the case nowadays and as is back then with when you just started. And the thing about finance content, I realized that, I didn't realize that, oh, people will be, will be, will have negative comments about you being you know, good with saving. It's like, yeah, because how, how can you, you know, how can you say something negative about that? I think it's because like, when I make certain statements on why I choose not to spend on certain things, uh, people take it very negative. They take it as a judgment of their own spending expenses. Okay, yeah, okay, so it's yeah. like, if she says that she doesn't see the point of spending on branded stuff, are you saying that I'm uh, wrong for spending on branded stuff? And they take it very personally. Yeah, they feel and it's a personal attack. Okay. Exactly, exactly. So then they respond in very hateful manners. And mm. I was getting that from, you know, just everyday people as well as some influencers back then. Yeah, so it was a little bit hard. But I think today the conversation has matured a bit more. And there's all mm. that talk about like, you know, being kind. And that, yeah. you know, money is just, it's up to everyone on how they want to spend it. Just because I choose not to do this doesn't mean I'm saying that you're bad for doing that. Mm. Yeah, it's just know, different back, back preference. Back then, there's a traditional mindset that if you keep talking about money, it's like very money-minded. Yes, exactly. Money phase. Correct, correct. Yeah. Whereas now, it's like, okay, you're savvy. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Last time, the term was very stingy, very penny-pinching, yeah. miserly. Today, it's savvy, prudent, thrifty. Mm. So, it's like, you know, the tone has changed a lot as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, brand has evolved so much, right? That I, I kind of forgot that there's the word budget in your original <laughs> title. Yeah, that, that's where you started, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, now you're talking about so many investments, even crypto. But but back then, it was really about how to save. Exactly. Oh, was, that, that was in a brand. Exactly. Right? SG Budget, babe. Yeah. How, how did you get started? Like, why, why did you get yourself involved? 
Um, so if I were to tune back time, I remember mm. I was it was back in 2014 and I was at my new job. I just more or less settled in. I was telling my damn boyfriend that I feel a like I don't get to write as much. And I love writing. My childhood aspiration was to be a published author. Mm. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I want to do more writing. Business writing, not the same, you know. So he was like, why don't you start a blog? I'm like, oh yeah, why didn't I think about it? What should I write though? Like about what I ate. You know, that was the days, oh. right? In, in, if you look at the OG influencers, <laughs> yeah. you was like, here's what I ate, here's what I wore, here's what I did. Oh, and I was like, oh. Things are still the same. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't changed much, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't want to do, go down that path. I didn't want to write stuff like that because mm. I felt like my life was boring anyway. I'm always doing the same old thing. And I repeat my outfits. Why should I write about what I wore? Then people know, hey, didn't she wear that last Monday? Like OOTD. <laughs> the same every day. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I then my husband, uh, my then boyfriend, now mm. husband was saying, okay, what have you been talking about recently? And I, say mm, okay in my recent meetups I've been talking about how I saved quite a bit of money because I mm. did hit a, a good savings milestone last year he was like then just write about that lah. just write about what you thought oh. very easy you're ready to man. Mm. <laughs> you know typical guy, guy yeah, style yeah. Yeah. so I'm like oh yeah why am I overthinking it so I started my first blog post with the title um, how I saved 20,000 in a year Mm. And that was yeah, <laughs> that is a good, it, good title. I didn't yeah. even know there was a term click. <laughs> yeah, back it, then. Didn't it was literally what mm. I achieved, mm. and it was just me detailing the steps on how I got there. Mm. Yeah, and then I, I didn't even expect that to go viral because I remember when I published it, it was only shared on my Facebook to my friends, and it was really just a few of my friends who was resharing it and saying like, "Wow, I never knew you had this side of you. This was very inspirational." Mm. And then all of a sudden, I woke up one day, and the numbers just shot up. On yeah. the block. Okay. Yeah, it just went from like, you know, uh, I think 12 shares to like 200. And then like, th- by the next week, it was 2,000. And I'm mm. like, what's happening? I have no idea. And then my friends were all messaging me like, dude, you know, my colleagues in office are all talking about you. You're famous. Like, yeah, I'm like, uh, but I didn't put my identity, lah, right? Uh. So my friends knew who I was, but people who saw the block through shares probably didn't know. Mm. Yeah, so I was like, what just happened? And then I was just glad that people like what I wrote and then from there like the encouragement and supporting words that I received spurred me to continue writing yeah and then I guess maybe because the first defining post was about money that just kind of like cemented the path from me oh you but you already had a logo back then do you I had your, budget your, babe right then yeah budget babe I mean yeah. you kind of knew it was going to be finance related right no actually Did I just know? I just came up with the name budget because I thought it was catchy and uh, yeah I just in, in fact the initial on budget Barbie yeah yeah that, and then that I was found back out then. that that was actually Bong Choo Choo's stage name yeah. on CT Click TV or CT yeah. something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds like Clean Network. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, oh, I had to change it. So I changed to Budget Babe. The Budget Babe. Yeah, still BB. Okay, <laughs> but okay. until today, my email is still SG Budget Barbie. So, ah, yeah. No wonder, no wonder. <laughs> so, the, the first title that really got so called viral back then, well, viral wasn't even a word, was the 20, saving $20,000 in a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know the thing about these kind of titles, right? Even even right now, right? That's what you mentioned, or making 100000 by 30 years old. Then there'll be two groups of people. One will be like, that's impressive. Mm. And the other one will be like, that's so little. Uh, right? Yeah. You know, like 20000 a or year. Or like, more humble brag. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting like how there's always like different opinions. And you, you mentioned a, a few times just now, right? Like as, as a female, you had a bit more, you had to deal with all of these comments a little more, right? Mm. How is it like, you know, being a, a female, you know, writer, blogger, influencer in this space? I think on hindsight, it was probably good that I was already attached by then. Oh, okay. So I didn't have to care so mm. much about other people because, well, as long as my boyfriend was 
comfortable with it and, yeah. and he liked me, his family likes me. That's all that matters. Who cares about strangers, right? Mm. So I was a bit more comfortable but of course it got to me as well and I had a lot of times where I'll be like, Wallah, you know this guy, uh, he just <laughs> accused me of not giving money to my parents. What does he know about me? Yeah. Does he know how much I give? Mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and then my boyfriend would be like, hi, yeah, you don't have to care about that. So it helped having him around. Mm. Yeah, and then like, you know, um, with that, it made it a bit easier to get past those hateful comments mm. by having his support as well as focusing on the positive ones. And then over the years, I just kind of like, I think you just kind of learn how to deal with it and a little bit, not really immune, mm. but you learn how to ignore people who don't really matter or who, who like just judge you and they don't really follow your path to know what kind of person you are. Mm. Yeah. How, how do you deal with you being famous? Although you use, you were like a pseudonym. I mean, you used the, you never showed your real face, right? It's just a, a cartoon character. Until much later. La, Until yeah. much later. La. When, when was that? When was, I think yeah, you only showed in 2016, maybe. Uh, you started your YouTube? Or no, what's the reason um, for showing? Actually, it was really because, uh, I think in 2016, Nafnang mm. approached me. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and Nafnang, I mean, they don't really exist now, but back then, they are the ones who manage Xia Xie and all yeah. the influencers, right? They so were the like, YouTube before YouTube. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and they came to me and they said like they could help me to monetize and get me gigs and I wasn't doing any of that. So mm. I was like, oh, why not? Okay, if it's a side income thing, then I don't mind. But the condition was that I had to show my face. Mm, mm, yeah, mm. so I was like, oh, okay, okay lor. Lor. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly, okay, lor. let's just show off. Yeah. yeah, but I was hesitant in the beginning because like, I also didn't want people to judge my content based on my face, mm. which I feel is very... Con- oh. Isn't that the reason why a lot of people follow the OG bloggers? Because like, hey, this girl show, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself, right? I followed Tammy Tay back then because she's, wow, she's so hot and pretty. Okay, right? Okay. And then like, I just didn't want people mm. to like judge me before they get to read and judge my words. I see. Yeah, I as see. an author, I mean, if you knew how the author looked like and you judge, mm. what's more important? Is it the words or the author? Mm. But, you know, sometimes the face does come in. So I deliberately didn't want to show face in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Although you know that showing your face will get more engagement, right? Because that's how I didn't know, social actually. media works. I didn't yeah, know. I never yeah. knew. It was only when Afnan explained it to me. They were like, okay, like, I can see yeah. the rationale of why you need me to show face. Exactly. Uh, I can see from client standpoint and all, but... Okay, lor, I mean, now it's about two years already. Mm. About time, lor, and just mm. come out. Lor. That's why I love uh, Lisa's adulting in Singapore because she, she has never shown her face till yeah. today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's all a 15-minute video. That means the content is really like in-depth. And exactly, all that. exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you, you started showing your face. You, you know, more people know you. And then you know how things work behind the scenes, right? So could you tell us a bit more about, you know, I mean, people listening to this podcast, they're going to be consuming so much financial content, right? So how, how is it like really behind the scenes? How should we learn to discern financial content? That's actually a really good question. Mm. Um, so I think there are two types of co- content creators when it comes to finance. One are the finance creators and one are the lifestyle now taking on finance content. Mm. And I think people need to be a bit more discerning for the latter group because sometimes they're just following the brief. It's not that the brief is wrong, mm. but it's just that, you know, um, you can always just focus on the positive side, right. but not knowing the negative side or the, the T and Cs of finance, right? Okay. Can make or break mm. the investment or the purchase or whatever it is. It's like, for example, um, the person can say the credit card gives you 10% cashback. But if you don't hear about the part that needs you to spend $1,000 a yeah. month, then you you might be signing up for that card and spending 500 and then you, get, you feel cheated at the end when you realise you didn't get anything because, oh, you didn't see this fine print because that was not communicated. Mm. I think that is what is happening with a lot of the finance products nowadays. Um, on the first group, I think uh, there are two types also. So there are people who I 
really respect because like, um, and this is what I try to also be, whereby we're very selective about what we take on. Mm. And many times I've walked away from engagement, even when they offered to pay good money, because I just felt like it didn't support what I wanted to stand for in the long run. And it could backfire in the future, right? Yeah, I could earn like one or $3,000 right now, but is that worth the cost of my long-term reputation? Mm. Yeah, so making that kind of decisions on the back end is not what people always see. Mm. You only see what gets produced on the front and people are very quick to just, you know, like shrug off yeah, sponsored content. Yeah. But the truth is, sponsored content has a lot more work than organic. And because we, a lot of the finance creators that I know and respect, right, we fight really hard to put the sponsored content in the way that we feel is the best. Mm. Yeah, so like when I work with clients, I make it very clear, you must allow me to put in like the TNCs. They'll be like, can you remove the TNCs? No, we don't want people yeah. linked in. And I'm like, no, it's a budget babe thing. We don't want to put it in there. I can't do this gig. I'm mm. sorry. And even if it means like, I've already done the work and I have to throw away that whole gig because of this tiny thing, okay. I'll refuse to budge. Mm. Yeah. Or things like, um, you know, I have to talk about the pros and cons. Yeah. If you want me to talk about a certain product that isn't always the best fit for everybody, I need to say who is good and mm. who is not as suitable for it. But the clients will always be like, no, I don't want you to say who not suitable for it, right? I'm like, no, I have to. Mm. Yeah, and I think having those conversations on the back end, you will be able to see in the content, not just from one piece, but over time. When you follow a finance influencer, you can see that when they always try to be objective and promote two sides of the story, right? I feel those are the ones that are a bit more trustworthy and you can rely on the content for more snap judgments in that sense. But if it's not, then you have to be more discerning yourself yeah. and go and do extra research after reading about it. Mm, I have nothing against the advertising model if it's done with integrity like what you said. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And actually, you you brought a point like, is which is very interesting for me. Um, like some YouTube channel, and then when they start to have um advertisements and people will say what well, you're sell out or something yeah. right like, oh but then then do you think they're producing the YouTube videos for free exactly. <laughs> I mean there's got to be a revenue model in, in there somewhere exactly. but then I think this perspective is changing too like last time I would see comments oh you're a sell out oh you're getting ads but now I see like oh I'm so happy like for example Kelvin right? I'm so happy you're getting sponsors like you deserve it so I, I think there's a change in perspective as well Yeah. but I, how does it how is it really like behind the, the scenes in the in sense that you know, now there's so much crypto shilling. Shilling mm. meaning like, yes, they're really selling this specific token or coin, right? Yeah. And like, how, how bad is it? And, and you know, if as an audience, if, if you don't know that this is what's happening, you know, you could be taken for a ride, like you were saying. Yeah. Exactly. Like, do you get a lot of people asking you to shield this particular token? Of course, um, yeah. NFT projects, NFT, um, oh, NFTs. tokens and all. Um, But... I think it really is about doing one's own financial due diligence. Okay. Yeah, because it's hard. Even if you're the, even as a content creator, it's hard for me to look at another content creator and know for sure mm. whether he or she was financially incentivized to do it. And not everyone I think is. Shouldn't as open. the default assumption be like, yeah, most likely it is? Yeah, but some people don't, right? Some people mm. are like, they really genuinely are just sharing because they think it's a great deal okay. and they're not being compensated for it. Mm. How do you tell the difference? It isn't always as clear. 
Isn't yeah. there the guide, uh, an advertising guideline to put a hashtag sponsored post at least? Like, but what it's if it's of... not sponsored? What if you bought that investment uh, first? Okay. And then you're trying to shoot it because you want other people to come in and buy and then push out the front and then you want to dump, dump it on them, right? <laughs> yeah. So okay. how does that fall within uh, the guidelines? Okay. You, and you would never know. So I think like, for me on my end, this is why I also stop putting out uh, public mentions of the things that I'm in, the investments mm. that I am invested in because I realise like people just look at, oh, he or she bought this, that's it. They don't look at the thesis. They don't look at the why, mm. right? And then a lot of like, you know, snap judgments get made, some good and some lead to a lot of downfalls. So for me, I like keep that to an exclusive platform on my Patreon where I really put out the entire thesis. And like, you know, this is the reason why I bought it. This is the where I'm, I see it going. These are the risks. This is the amount I bought it at. Mm. So if you see it now, oh, it's like entry. 120. Yeah, yeah, my entry level. Or yeah, if I sell, important. this is my sell price. Mm. So it's very clear and very transparent. Yeah, but if you're on just, you know, public, right? It's very hard. Like, some people do that on Twitter. It's just 100, some 100 plus characters. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, how do you communicate a whole thesis on that? Yeah, you can have your Twitter threads, but how many people actually read Twitter, Twitter threads? Even after you put up the whole thesis, people might still might still not be reading it in detail, right? They could, but yeah. at least in that case, like, if something You've goes wrong, part, yeah. yeah, I've done my part and mm. I've done my part to educate you. Yeah. You don't just blindly follow. So you knew what was the risk and if that risk materialized, I'm in it with you, man. Because <laughs> I I also went in, right? And mm. if I sold, you would have seen me selling. But I didn't. So I'm I'm down okay. at the same time. Do you think there needs to be more regulation in this space? I think there is, but it's hard. Mm. Like, how? <laughs> it's like the same reason why SEC hasn't really gone after Elon Musk for all his tweeting, Tweet, yeah. right? Yeah. It's mm. really hard to kind of stop people about sharing because you can stop the ones with a little bit more influence. But then the next everyday person who is savvy, not financially compensated, could start sharing about his or her pics. And then when they go right, he or she will naturally have an audience grow and then will grow into that financial influencer title. Mm. And then do you now stop them when everything they've been doing up to that point was working well and you didn't regulate anyway? At what point do you step in? How do you step in? It's really hard. Mm. So I feel the easiest way instead of waiting for regulations, which are always slower, mm. um, we as consumers and investors just need to do our own due diligence. Okay, could, could we go deeper into the due diligence part, right? So how can I do more due diligence? So That's- like learning about, let's say you see someone shielding a crypto coin, mm. then you, you need to go and read up about uh, what is this crypto project about? What problem is it trying to solve? Who's the team? Is it docs or undocs? Uh, what's the potential? Could it be a rug pool? Mm. You know, and then like also go and figure out is the one who's posting this financially compensated in some way? It might not be that they were paid for it, but maybe they were. Uh, they can earn affiliate fees. Mm. Yeah, there was like, I think, was it Crypto Nick or Bomber Nick in the early days of the 2017-18 bull market? He earned a lot of money from affiliate uh, crypto promotions. And then also it could be like they bought in early and they're just trying to, you know, shoot it up, mm. make the price go out and then dump it on you. Yeah. So I always teach my followers to ask this question are they making you their exit liquidity? Mm. Yeah, mm. if you think they are, then maybe you want to stay out. Mm. Maybe we should explain the exit liquidity part. Yeah, yeah. so like, um, if I buy a crypto coin that's mm. unheard of, and then I shoo it and promote it to all my followers, yeah. and I say, wow, this is super good, you should mm. go and buy in. And then everyone goes in and buy, even if it's a little bit, the price is going to go up. Once that happens, I dump it. Yep. And then the price will slowly, like people start panicking also and then it slowly crashes and then it goes down. Mm. So exit liquidity is me dumping on my followers. Yeah. I walk away the profits. They're the ones who hold the loss. Yeah, because you, you will be selling at the, the highest point, right? Or the highest. At the price, yeah. yeah, at the highest price. And, and then 
I'm your exit liquidity in the sense that I'm buying at a lower. Yeah, lower yeah, price, yeah. Right? You're, you're buying my. I'm bets. buying from you. Yeah, I'm yeah. buying from you at a high. Yeah. You're buying the things that I don't want. <laughs> and then the price and then the price drops. So I'm, I'm your your chance for an exit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And liquidity because now you you can make away with the money. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So I always ask people to think about that question: mm. Is this person making you their exit liquidity? Mm, I I think even after doing all this, you could still be you know taken for a ride. But at least you know you you've done some work. You exactly. try to limit the potential possibility that you could be the exit liquidity for some of these influencers out there. Correct, correct. Okay. And also, I mean, aside from deliberate uh, schemes like this, there's also bad luck, right? Like oh, okay. COVID yeah. happens, black swan events happen. So you still can lose money even if you do due diligence. But knowing the risk and at least doing your homework, mm. then you can't say like, ah yeah, if only I had done this. Okay. Why I so stupid? Never go and check uh, mm. that kind of thing. So mm. at least you'll be also like a, a lot, not so harsh on yourself. Yeah, because it wasn't something that you could accurately predict anyway. And I think that happened a lot with the Luna crash. Uh, um, you see, the, okay, yeah, since you brought up Luna, right? I mean, uh, okay, it's not a, a scam in the sense mm. that like mm. the, the founders are trying to, to cheat you of money, but the project just failed, right? Yeah. yeah. And there were so many Singaporeans on it. I, I didn't realize yeah. there were so many Singaporeans on it. Not just Singaporeans, I mean, worldwide, everyone yeah. was on it. Yeah, but, but of course, you know, um, then a, a good number of Singaporeans got... Lost some money, right? Do you, do you hear any stories? You know, a lot, yeah, uh-huh. lots of people um involved in it. But I think the thing about Luna was that it was very sad, right? On one hand, you had like maybe ten percent of the conversation talking about the warning signs, mm. and even when I actually look at the whole Luna thesis and I did due diligence and all, I saw those signs, mm. but you weigh your chances, right? Right. Yeah, right. and you you'll be thinking, and this is exactly what I thought. What are the odds that it will fail? Mm. Yes, there are the chances, is, yeah. but like maybe a 5-10% chance. Mm. And then like if it fails, the problem is that it will be like a layman brother's white collapse. Mm. There are so many other projects, uh, all the, you know, C5 and all that are embedded and tight and entrenched in this terra C5 ecosystem. being centralized finance. Correct, right? okay. yeah. Mm. So they're all tied together and all the hedge funds and all. If Terra really falls, then all of these, there will be a domino effect. Mm. There will be financial contagion on the street. I don't think that will happen. Mm. So oh. I'll take my chances and I'll play on the 90% that I think it will go up. Okay. And then of course, like who knew it happened to be that that 5 or 10% chance came to pass. Yes. And we're now really seeing the whole financial contagion that I predicted in mm. my thesis play out. It's mm. unfortunate, but it was a risk. We knew the risk. We weighed it to be like 90-10 and we went ahead. So even if that goes to not, then well, that the... the I've done what I could. Mm, you, yeah. you, you did allocate some capital according to your exactly. analysis. Risk and okay. risk capital also. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think many Singaporeans over allocated. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think um they may over allocate either because of greed or mm. they didn't know. Mm. Yeah, like I mean if you just look at the anchor protocol, right? Wow, 19%. Wow. If let's say you have a hundred K in a fixed D or it's just sitting in your bank, you're like, why should I put in a fixed D for just one or two percent when I can get 19 point something percent. Yeah. Yeah, and it's in a stable coin as well, right? You can switch it to... Yeah, that's yeah. the word, so, so you think that it's stable, it's good, and then you move everything into it, and that's where the problem lies. Because when something's too good to be true, mm. then it usually has yeah. a downside that you may not be familiar with. I have zero dollars in Anchor Protocol, by the way. Um, now, yeah. of course, because... <laughs> no, no, no. Back then. Back oh, then no. I, I never ah, had. Okay. I, I was tempted. Yeah. I definitely right, was Everybody's on it, right? Exactly. But mm. I just felt like it didn't make sense to be sustainable. Mm. Yeah. And it's good to play for as long as it runs. But can you get out in time? And my yeah. concern was, I don't know if I could, could get out in time. So I'm okay to not make this 19% 
and just keep my cash in other sources instead. Mm. Yeah, but of course, when that whole crash came, it was very sad. Yeah, mm. it was really, really mm. very sad. My so, biggest loss actually didn't come from Anchor, didn't come from Luna, but from the fact that because I believe in the Terra ecosystem, how uh, entrenched it was, right? right? I had some money in UST. Right. And that was my war chest for crypto when the winter comes. So yeah, okay. now I'm like, oh, my war chest is almost gone. gone. Yeah, <laughs> I had to put in more money to make a new war chest because, yeah, I, I, I mean, everyone knows Tether has mm. issues. Yeah, and I felt that UST was a better stable coin than Tether. And when that went, went to naught, it was just like, wow. Mm. So this is an example that you can do your due diligence, but you still got to be prepared that it doesn't work out. Your exactly. thesis fail. And then you got to, that's why you allocate according to your risk profile and how much analysis and how much you, you think it deserves, right? Exactly. And don't over-allocate to it. Yeah, mm. portfolio allocation is super important, but I think mm. it's a skill that many people lack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they tend to go for where their greed leads them. When did you start investing? I mean, back then, SG Budget Bay was about saving money, but when did you start this investment journey? Uh, I actually have to thank my early readers because when that post went viral, I think it caught the attention of several other OG financial writers and bloggers. And they told me like, now that you have this sum of money, you should look at investing it. Uh, and that caught my attention. I was like, I still remember that comment on my blog. I was like, what is investing? I yeah, mean, you know, early 20s, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, was like, never, I mean, I've heard of this term, but never really knew what it meant. So I started reading up. And then, of course, everyone recommends reading The Value Investor and Warren Buffett's mm. letters and all that. So That's I started, how we got started. Exactly. Yeah. So I went through that all the books and all that learning and then it got very intriguing. Yeah, I, I really like learning about it. Mm. And then I started investing the year after. So I think that was in 2000, late 2015 or 16. Yeah, mm. so I deployed uh, right before Trump became president. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. That, that, feels, that doesn't feel very long ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Slightly. I mean, of course, the, the whole journey has been eight years so far. Yeah. Mm, wow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I, I think the topic of finance is generally, it's, it's by itself intrinsically very appealing to you. Like, you're interested mm. in it. Do, do you know why? What is it about background. you that you like it? A background? Yeah, because oh, okay, okay. I grew up as a middle-income, lower middle-income family. Mm. So like, um, I was always seeing my friends go on holidays, you know, and telling me about their travels. And I never sat on an aeroplane until I was in uni. And I funded my own aeroplane mm. ride. So um, it was always like, oh, I wish I could have those things as well, but I never. And I needed to save up to get what I wanted. Mm. So when I was younger, I was a bookworm. I said, my dream was to be a published author, right? right. I love reading Harry Potter, Annie Blyton. And I had to save up to buy those Harry Potter books. It was expensive, okay? It was like $40 for a student who only gets like $10 pocket money a week. I had to save for very long to get to $40. Mm. And I think just having to do that throughout my life just really grew me into... That's why the name came out, Budget Beat, mm. right? Because it was always me working in a budget. Yeah, mm. and then like I got a kick out of it, right? When I have only $10 buying one item versus being able to stretch that over five items, wow, you feel like, wow, I feel so satisfied, man. I made my dollar work harder. Yeah, so I think because of that background, it really shaped me into who I am today. And I think this is where uh, our childhood influences and our childhood background, how money is being regarded, really shapes our outlook in life. 
Because I see the exact opposite with my husband. Yeah, he <laughs> okay. never grew up with a lack. Whatever uh, he wanted, he was always given. Okay. Yeah, okay. so he doesn't see money the same way mm. as I do. Yeah, okay. he doesn't think about the downsides. When Let's say if he has X dollars, he'll be living and spending X dollars. Mm. But if I have X dollars, I'll be like, I need to put aside 20% for emergencies, 30% for this, you know, and the way we think about allocations is very different. So how do you manage your finances as a couple? I'm the CFO. You're the CFO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, because you mentioned that he, he never had a lag, right? So, okay, I, I, I know someone who, who's also like that. And because of that, they have an abundance mindset. I, I feel relate, relatable. Uh, mm. I feel that I can relate to your story in the sense that, you know, I have to like work hard to, to get the things that I want in life because I wasn't given enough resources, like middle income, family and, and all that. So I, I can feel that. But when I look at my friend who's, uh, whose family run a business and, and therefore since young, right, like he... Money just flows in and out easily for him. Mm. But because of that, right, the way he operates, right, it's, it's abundance mentality. Mm. Like, to him, money will just come back. Yeah, and, and, and he doesn't anyhow spend, but I mean, he doesn't look at the price tag when he spends or so. Mm. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if that is missing from my own equation in my own life. You know what I mean? Like, because we've been operating with scarcity yeah. so much so that, like, you know, like, because budget babe is about saving money, right? But it's only so much you can save. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's what I actually wrote about in, I think, the second or third year that I was tracking my expenses. Because I realized, right, I was saving and I, I was getting a kick of how much more I could save, right? And then it hit a breaking point. I just couldn't save anymore. Mm. And in order to increase my savings, I needed to earn more. Mm. And that's when my mindset completely shifted. So it wasn't about now I anyhow spend. I continue to keep the habits that I had, but earn more. I agree. I have a yeah. similar experience. I was tracking my finances as well. And then I was like, eh? Like, like you, you keep focusing on the small things in life. They yeah. forget the bigger things. Correct, yeah. correct, because, correct. I mean, ideally you should do both, save more and, and earn more. But the one that's going to really have a huge impact is your you know, revenue. Correct. Or your money coming in, right? Correct. Yeah. But I think for people who grow up on the opposite end of the spectrum, mm. it's harder for them to have that controlling mindset. So like mm. you said, your friend doesn't really look at the price tag when he spends. But if it was the opposite, right? We always are used at looking at the price tag. Yeah. Now we can afford not to look at the price tag. Mm. And that's an easier shift than telling someone who has never looked at the price tag to now, hey, you need to start looking at the price tag now. Yeah, but, <laughs> but sometimes I feel that that scarcity mindset kicks in. Like I still feel guilty at some level if I feel that I'm spending a lot. Mm. And, and and I can afford to take more grab rides nowadays. But when I see that the grab ride home is $30, like, I can't press that. Like, like, you can afford it, right? In a way, but like, oh my God, $30 go home. Yeah, <laughs> but that's also because you know that you can get more out of your $30. But you see, if you're in a situation mm. where you need to get a place urgently or if it's like a million dollar deal, you'll just spend at $30. Yeah. So you'll be like, this $30 is nothing compared to the one million I can earn if I show up on time. <laughs> yeah, so it's really about the value. Yeah. And I think we cherish and understand and attribute more value to each dollar because of our background versus someone who comes from the opposite side. Mm. Yeah, and I really feel it's easier to go from scarcity to abundance than abundance to scarcity. All right, so you've been through the training. Yeah. Yeah, so, so budget babe has evolved to like, not, not just budget already. Like you're talking about so many different topics nowadays. Yeah, and I think also like maybe when you reach a certain age, now that we're in our 30s, right? Mm. You realize there's just not so much you can budget anymore because, mm. you know, unlike in your 20s when it's just you, 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 you. There's only so many cups of Starbucks that you can stop drinking. Yeah, exactly. To save exactly. money. Yeah. And then when kids come to the equation, oh, oh there's just so <laughs> many other things that you just can't 
And that's all for today's episode. Don't forget to tune in again next week as we continue our conversation with Dawn to find out more about how she manages her family's finances and investments as the CFO of her household and how she's teaching her two kids financial literacy.